to do or not to do. That is the title for today. To do or not to do. All right. Yes, this is the question. So, have you ever felt that somebody was out to get you? Have you ever felt that someone was just out to get you? They were trying to, like, bring you down. They were trying to persecute you. They were trying to discredit you. They were trying to, uh, to slander you. They were trying to just make you quit something that you decided to do. You decided God tells you, you know what? I want you to lead the children in the Bible, you know, in, in, Sunday, in children's church. And the first day you do it, all of a sudden, 2,000 kids show up, and you're like, oh, no. And there's this one Dennis the Menace that is just trying to get at you, trying to discourage you, trying to bring you down, trying to just make you second guess and doubt what God had told you to do in the first place. Ever felt like someone wanted to take advantage of you because you're a good person? You know, oh, well, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to be really good in this sense. So sometimes people take advantage of that. And, you know, and I'll tell you what most pastors don't. I mean, you don't have to say yes to people all the time, you know. Um, you, 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 you cannot be a slave to the yes. Many times you need to say no. And it's not that you're a bad person. It's that you understand your priorities. And you have to, priority, you have to prioritize things in your life. And sometimes it means saying no to people. Even when saying yes would have been a good thing. Ever feel like you're being oppressed? What does the word oppressed mean? The word oppressed means crushed or burdened by the abuse of power or authority. Spiritually or mentally burdened. So people that may have influence, people that might be your boss, people that might be, you know, um, uh, your elders and your family. Hey, maybe sometimes leaders in church. Feeling oppressed is when that group of people, they, uh, they burden you. They abuse, you know, they, they abuse their power and their authority, and they make you feel less than who you are. Well, how do you know if you've been oppressed? Has anyone ever felt abused? Has anyone ever felt distressed? Has anyone ever felt enslaved? Has anyone ever felt exploited has anyone ever felt helpless persecuted what do you do when you find yourself there so that's where the question is to do or not to do what will you do and if we look at the book of James we have just entered chapter 5 and uh, chapter 5 is the last chapter, for those who didn't know. And so, so we're almost there. We're almost to the finish line. But chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, they really, you know, we're not going to cover this in the sermon like today, but I'm going I'm to give you a brief, what's happening is here is a warning to the rich. There's a warning to the rich who appear to be oppressing the people, taking advantage of them, you know, abusing their power over them. 
And this is what's happening in the first six verses. And James is, he, he's revealing this. He's saying, this is what's happening. Right? They, they cheat their workers off of pay. So you go to work and, and, and you work all day and, then, and you don't get your money for it. Can you imagine if that happens today? You go to work, work all week. I mean, maybe wait two weeks and you still don't get your check. Like, oh, oh some, somebody, somebody, somebody going to pay. I don't know. But somebody's going to pay because I worked two straight weeks. They treated them unfairly. And um, they only cared about themselves. And the Bible says while condemning them and murdering those just trying to be left alone. This is, this is, this is like serious stuff that's happening to the people in the times of James. It's serious. Our passage today is going to start at verses 7 through 12. In these verses, James gives the believer principles or instructions, whatever you want to call them, of what to do and not to do when we find ourselves oppressed by others. Amen? James chapter 5, verse 7. James chapter 5, verse 7 through 12. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord, Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the, for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You, too, must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look. The judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience in suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath. By heaven or earth or anything else, just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. So, there's a lot, there's a lot in here. There's a lot going on in here. But we're going to do this. The first principle that James points out is simple. It's do, don't resist. And when we hear that word, don't resist, we automatically think of just allowing somebody to take advantage of us. What happens when you hear don't resist? All of y'all started thinking about cops saying, don't resist, don't resist. I know, that's the first thing that came to your mind. That's the first thing that came to your mind. And so what happens is to not resist, and, and, and I want to break this down to you, is to not resist means not fight back. Okay? To not fight back, to not counter so if you hear me say resist, think fight against, uh, seek revenge. These are all things that are part of resisting. Resisting what something is happening to you or what someone is doing to you. Sometimes it's not just walking away because that's not really resisting. Resisting is like a counter. Okay. We, we see in this example the behavior of those being oppressed in James' time. 
and I want you to notice the passage. So we go back to the first six verses, and in those first six verses, uh, verse 4 and 6, they, they paint the picture. It says, For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's army. Verse 6 says, you have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. It's obviously to know that people are being oppressed. James, is, he's clear of what's happening. This is something that's not a secret. Apparently, these people are not doing it in hiding, right? It, you know, they, they feel confident enough that they can just do this in public and not feel like they're going to be punished for it or anything like that. And so this is a, a public thing. It's going on. Many people are being affected. They're being treated wrongly. There's injust. They're being treated unjustly. And we read that although they were suffering through all these things, there's something that they did. It says they did not resist. They didn't fight against them. Now, some of us be like, oh, I don't know, Pastor, not me. Not me. Um, yo, don't act all innocent. Don't act innocent. Yo, you guys, you guys. If somebody's taking advantage of you, if somebody's cheating you, if somebody is um, putting their hands on you, I mean, in, case, in this case, they've even murdered some people, right? If this thing is happening... There's going to be a problem. There's a problem going on. All right? And you guys want to act all innocent now. Maybe it's because we have some visitors in the house. They're trying to behave. They're trying to behave. But, um, but there's going to be a problem. There's going to be a problem. And the first thing that comes to our mind is, oh, no, I'm going to handle it like this. I'm going to put the boxing gloves on. I'm going to go to the card, to the glove box. I'm going to go to the... Okay, one, two, three, four, five. The glove boxes. I know where. Okay. I'm not going to just allow them to treat me this way. I'm going to do something about it. Now, did you know that the teaching of Christ is consistent with not resisting, with not fighting back, with not rebelling? Oh, why you got to tell me that, Pastor? Now, that's... Because the thing is, our natural flesh will quickly result to that. I'm telling you, it's like, it's like you don't even got to think about it. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to plan it. You don't have to, like, prepare for it. Listen, if something goes wrong and something is done to you, without even thinking, your body goes into vengeance mode. Vengeance mode. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I can't let them get away with this. Tell them do this to me automatically. But the Bible tells us other things. So let's see what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 28. Jesus says, but to you who are willing to listen, because obviously there was people that was not willing to listen. <laughs> I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Oh, why you got to tell me that? Bless those who curse you. Oh, man. Some people are struggling right now. Some people are struggling. 
and pray for those who hurt you. Wait, God, God, hold on a second. Hold on a second. You want me to do good to those that don't even like me? You want me to bless people that curse me? And you want me to pray for people who want to do bad things to me? I said, Jesus must have hit his head on something. I mean, is he thinking straight? Did he mean to say this? Some people are like, well, let's check the context. No, the context is for you. (laughs) Well, what does it say in the Greek? It says the same thing. Jesus doesn't say fight back. He doesn't say get even. He doesn't say go ahead and handle it. He doesn't say plan your evil revenge. Because some of y'all be taking like months to plan your get back, to plan your vengeance. Oh, I'm going to get them back. And then you go into like your little Dexter's laboratory in the basement. You have like pictures on the wall and stuff like that. It wasn't just Jesus that tells us this in his word. I mean, even though it should only be Jesus that has to tell us, right? But in case you want to hear it again, his, his disciples, and, and, and they've mentioned it in several other areas as well. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 19 to 21. And here it says, dear friends, never take revenge. Notice how it didn't say on some occasions, you know, maybe... It says, never take revenge. This is hard for me too, believe it or not. Because, you know, if somebody does something to hurt me or my family, you know, the man in me kind of be like, yo, I got to do something about this. I can't let this go unanswered, right? But it says, it says, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, you give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. What does that mean, the the coals on their heads? All right, look, look. When someone does something bad to you and they want to harm you and and, and they're always talking against you, and you go out of your way to love them, embrace them, treat them you know, good, do things for them. You know, it's, it's shameful for that person. That person will be, will, be, will be confronted with a shame and a guilt, you know, that's like, man. And guess what? And you don't got to worry about it if, if so or not because God said he's going to take care of it anyway. He says, listen, your job is to love that person anyway. My job is to take that correa out later, all right? He's like, that's my job. I'll take the belt. I'll take the chancla. I'll do that. He's like, your job is just to love that person. That's your job. Your job is not to be like the the little sister or brother. They'd be like, here, mommy, here's the belt. (laughs) When the other sibling's about to get beat. I had two sisters that would, that would that should do that to my parents. Here you go, Dad. Here, Bobby. Man, thanks for the, for the backup. I hit that thing. You know how there was one belt and you hide it when you know you've done something bad? Like, I'm going to hide this under the couch. But your sister saw it. So when the dad's looking for it, we're gonna, right here, Dad. It's right here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. 
I'm not holding that against her. I'm not holding it against her. I'm not seeking revenge. It just scarred me emotionally for life. <laughs> first Peter, first Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 23 says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered. No, I don't want to suffer. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Listen, you know, we have this argument and there's this debate. Well, could God have, could Jesus actually could have done something in the midst of being tortured? Could, listen, he was God. He was God. He could, he could have wiped everybody. He could have like, everybody just fall. He didn't retaliate. He didn't fight back. He didn't resist. He left his case in the hands of God. Okay, all right, all right, pastor. I got it. You said it. You used 500 verses. I get the point. We have to do good. We have to do good. We have to treat people good. We know um, our enemies. I get it. We can't fight back when they treat us a certain way. We can't take revenge on people when they do things to us. I get it. You know, I, the Jesus says it. The apostles say it. Um, but pastor, I'm human. And you even said that the first thing is this is what happens. This is what we, we jump into. So how do you expect me to not give in to my human nature? How do you expect me to not, you know, because you know how we justified as Christians, right? We say just, it was justifiable anger. We say it was righteous indignation. We use righteous indignation and we use justifiable anger, you know, to try to, you know, put the cherry on top of some of the things that we say and do. Some of you guys will be like, use the example of Jesus. Well, Jesus flipped the tables in the temple, so guess what? Sometimes you got to flip some tables. There's a difference. You see, because they weren't talking about Jesus in this moment. They were disrespecting God. Many times we feel disrespected. Many times we are done wrong. Many times we are, like, we are the recipient of what's going on, right? And we think we can use the example of Jesus flipping tables and think that we can follow suit. I'm much different than God the Father. You can insult me all day long. But when you insult God, and that's when you saw how David got, right, in front of the Philistine army. See, that's a different, that's a different type of, uh, of, of, I don't want to say resistance or, or fighting back. It's, 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 almost, it's almost where when you understand who your father is, no one's going to talk about my daddy kind of thing, right? Even though he can defend himself. But we saw the example how David got. He's like, how are you going to let this dude talk about our God like this? And I could have imagined the other soldiers looking at this little puny kid going back and forth. Because David was the, you know, he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't big and muscular and tall. He wasn't like, he wasn't built like a soldier in that moment. 
And if you imagine all these soldiers on the front lines, all with their all equipment and with their gear, looking at this little kid, looking back like, how y'all gonna, how you gonna, no, nah, no, nah, I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna say something. And they're like, they're like, oh, chill, chill, young buck. You know, get, get on. No, nah, no, nah, get off me. I'm gonna go out there. And he actually did go out there. Not like the people that be like, uh, uh. <laughs> you remember that? You know, remember the fights that was the shoulder fights? They're like, yo, man, you don't wanna, you know, man. Uh, and then like, yo, y'all gonna fight? Y'all gonna just bump oh, Listen, that was something that happened back in the day. Now you can't, now people just don't, there's no fair fighting and stuff like that. Anyways, how do we, how can I not fight back if it's human nature? How can I not fight back? Well, guess what? Um, Not fighting back is based on two things. Number one, it's an awareness that the Lord is coming to judge. It's an awareness. It's understanding that God is the judge. He's coming back. He's going to handle it, right? We saw that in verses 8 and 9. It said, it said, oh, you too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Right? The second thing is it's a willingness to let him be our avenger. He's coming back. We know that. He's going to judge. Now we know that. But guess what? Also, we got to understand that I'm not going to take revenge. You know, I'm not going to go back. and I'll let God do it. And being willing to do that. Deuteronomy 32, the first part of verse 35 says, I will take revenge and I will pay them back. That's God speaking. God, that's God speaking. He's going he's gonna to handle it. It's not easy to keep yourself from fighting back and, and standing up. It's a challenge for us to wait on the Lord. Right? It's a challenge for us to be patient. And, and James transitions into patience. And so our second principle is patience. And um, the word patient here, and this is, I guess, I'm going to give you like a, a little English Greek slash class here. Patient in this section of James is different than in chapter 1. And I want to explain the difference. All right. In his early writings, we see that he uses patience in verse in verse three in James chapter one, and that Greek word when it's tra- oh here we go right who it, it, it was it was it was hupomeno, hupomeno, and what it meant in that context was that you know let's remain under trials, let's you know bear up, that you know normally it would mean to be patient. This this patient meant. It was in reference to things or circumstances. And that's the major difference. When James is talking about being patient in chapter 1, he's telling us be patient in the circumstances. Be patient in the things that happen, right? The things. In chapter 5, the word, the Greek word, this one's harder, is uh, macrothumia, right? Right? And it means patience as a long-suffering. Long-suffering. And and this would mean and be referencing being patient to people, not the circumstances, not to things, but being patient with people. Say people. people. Those who oppress you. Like holding out, long-suffering, restraining yourself from giving in to the passion that is boiling up inside of you that wants to. That's the difference. So when we say patient, we're talking about the second one, right? 
Our text gives us three examples to encourage us to be patient in this context. And we saw in verse 7 when uh, James says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. Um, For those that like planting and have the green thumb, you know that you just don't plant something and the next day is there. You got to water it. You got to pull the weeds out. You got to do all that. If not, it will die. (laughs) Just like a plant that we just threw out yesterday. (laughs) It died. Um, He uses an example of patience. There's a level of patience of understanding the rain will come, it will water it, and with time it will grow. I just need to be patient. The second example he gives us is the prophet. James 5.10 says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. One of the reasons why this was mentioned is because in those days, back in the day, a prophet was given some enlightenment about what God was going to do in the future. So then we're not saying there's a fortune teller or a future, but many times God would in, like God would reveal to the prophet what was going to happen to the nation, what was going to happen to the king or to the, you know, to the people. And so far, so the prophet had a knowledge of what was going to happen, yet he still had to be patient in waiting for God to do what he was going to do. And I think that's the worst when you kind of already know. And then you got to wait it out. And then you got to wait. But God, you said, I, I, I know I said, in my time. The third example that was used in the scripture was uh, chapter 11. He says, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of perseverance, the, uh, heard of perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. I'm not going to go into the story of Job. Many of us know it. He had much, and he lost much. And in losing all that, family members, his wealth, his health, a lot of things that he lost, he never faltered in his faith in the Lord. He never faltered. And so in the end was that God gave him more than what he originally had. Each of these examples teach us to place our trust in the Lord, that he will eventually reward us for our trust in him. You know, sometimes we're waiting on this reward here on earth, and this is the problem. Sometimes we wait, like, okay, we wait like this. All right, God, give me, give me, give me, give me. Because, you know, unfortunately, we're living in a, in a, in, a, in a stage of Christianity that it promotes a lot of receiving for me. We, we, you know, a lot of what's happening in the world today, unfortunately, is a lot of teaching about what God wants to give you, what God wants to give you, what God wants to give you, and very few messages on what you need to give God. If you're, if you're occupied on giving God what you're supposed to be giving him, you don't have to worry about what you have or what you don't have. 
because you will always be okay. So I don't have to preach you up or hype you up or try to convince you to come by saying God wants to give you this and God wants to give you that. And you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. I don't, I don't got to do that. If you understand your role in the relationship between you and God. I'm sorry, that wasn't even in here. Be steadfast, unwavering, right? The truth is that we all know patience and long-suffering isn't our gig. (laughs) It's not your thing. No one can say like, oh, I'm real good at just letting people just take advantage of me all the time. Oh, I'm real good at just waiting and being real patient when I really want something. No one can say that. Oh, I take it back. I can't say that for me. All right, I'm not going to speak, I can't speak, for, I'm going to speak for me. I can't. So if, if, he, if we're to be patient, how can I be patient if it's not something that comes naturally? Well, that leads us to the third principle, which is establish your heart. What does this even mean, establish your heart? My heart ain't going nowhere, it's right here. It means to fix. It means to make steadfast, to set. In some contexts, it's translated to strengthen your heart. So, to strengthen my heart. So, if I could strengthen my heart, right, then I will be more likely to be patient and not lash back under circumstances where I would have usually lashed back. When evil is being done to me, if my heart is strong and set in the Lord, right, then I'm going to respond more like him versus more than the way Vince would respond. And so the key to actually strengthening our heart is through the word of God. Through constant and careful study of God's word. And this is another reason why I'm always on ya. Y'all got to come to Bible study. You got to learn the word of God. What's happening here is good, but this isn't a study where we can ask questions and go back and forth and, and dig into the context and the people and the history and where they're at. This is not where we do that, but we need to do that because it helps your heart grow. Your knowledge in the word, it strengthens you so that we don't react the way The world reacts when things happen. We react more like God. As a result, our faith in God has, and his eventual justice, right, is made stronger in our lives as we strengthen our hearts. As we continue to learn and study his word, we develop a patience and a strength that goes hand in hand with not resisting and fighting back. Romans 15, chapter 4. Right? It says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. With our hearts rooted and established in God's word, we are more likely to act as we should when oppressed. To do or not to do. 
So we handled the to-do. The to-do is simple, right? The to-do is simple. It says don't resist, don't fight back, be patient, you know, establish your heart. But there's a to-not-to-do, and we'll go through this faster, you know. If not, we'll just, you know. Oh, how many young adults we have in the, in the, in the house right now? Young adults, 18 to 35, 18 to 35. Did you guys know? that the fastest growing group at Lighthouse right now is the 18 to 35s. Let's give it up. Let's give it up for this group. So if you are older than that group, I want you praying for that group, right? Don't stop praying for that group. They need all the prayers they can get. But um, today after service, we are hanging out. There's babysitting. Um, We're going to get together, the 18 to 35-year-olds. Listen, we want to just hang out. We're going to have a good time. And uh, I forgot to mention that, but I'm mentioning that. Oneda's got some patelillos going there with like, what is it, $2, right, back there. So you can grab something to eat, you know, get something to drink. And then, you know, after, after all the old heads leave, you know, the, the, the young adults can hang out. I get a pass because I'm the pastor. <laughs> That's going to be my excuse. My excuse is, oh, well, you know, guys, I got to be here. I got to be here. You know, you know some, somebody's got to be here. No. But um, so uh, That's today. Hang out with us, stay here, 18 to 35, we have something uh, great planned. So, to not to do. There are some things that when we are under oppression, we shouldn't do. And James mentions all the things that we need to avoid. And the first thing he says is, do not grumble. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. Yo, he said brothers and sisters a lot during this, this passage, if you didn't notice. He's trying, to, he's, trying to be as, he's trying to be as nice as possible. Look, don't do this, brothers and sisters. Don't do this, brothers and sisters. So that you may not be judged. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. The judge stands before the gates. What does grumble mean? It means to complain. It means to suddenly complain. It means to complain about something in a bad-tempered way. The the example I want, uh, the congregation grumbled because the pastor preached for three hours. Oh, I see, y'all didn't, oh, y'all didn't laugh. That was a joke. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Complaining never actually solves a problem. But what it does is it feeds the fire of frustration. Things are happening. Things are happening. No one is, join, is enjoying it, but when you complain... You are just feeding the fire of frustration. It makes the problem bigger in our minds. I know what the world will have us feel today, right? You know, this, you know in, in today's agenda, oh, tell me your feelings. Talk to me. Tell me how you really feel. Um, your feelings are important. Your feelings come before anything. Sometimes your feelings mean more than the truth. Because that's how almost the world is taking it to. Your feelings mean more than what the truth is. That's how it starts. Oh, tell me your feelings. This and that. Blah, blah, this and that. Oh, feelings, 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 feelings. Before you know it, it's like, well, feelings, well, if you feel this way, it doesn't matter what's right. Do, do, you, see, do you see the transition? So it's not that I don't care about your feelings, because I do. I love you all. 
It just says, I'm not going to cradle and baby you guys by now. You, you guys know me, right? There's a leader for everyone. I can't cradle you. I won't. But I'm going to prepare you for the future that you'll be able to stand and know his word with or without someone by your side. Because sometimes you are alone physically, and you need to be prepared to stand firm on his word. I can't get you used to me holding your hand because if I'm not there one day, what's going to happen? That's love. That's love. That's also Sergeant Diaz talking to you guys. (laughs) We're told to share our feelings, right? And sometimes maybe we shouldn't. Everybody's like, what? What? Maybe there's a time that we shouldn't share our feelings. I mean, imagine if we have to talk about every little problem that occurs in life. If you talk about every little problem, everything that goes wrong, everything you don't like, everything, imagine if you spend your life talking about everything bad. It would make life so much harder than it needs to be. It's time you put on your big boy pants and your big boy, big girl skirts, pants, whatever, (laughs) boots, whatever girls wear. Right? And get tough. You understand that some bad things are going to happen. It's going to happen. And we just got to, we got to get up and keep it going. All right? But, yes, there are times where a conversation is necessary to discuss your feelings. So I'm not ruling that out. It, yes, we, sometimes we do need to confront and we do need to sit down. We do need to have conversations about how we feel. We, have, we, we need that at times. But there's a difference between confiding in a friend and complaining with a friend. I'm going to tell you the difference. Confiding is when you are seeking counsel and focusing on finding a solution. So something is wrong in your life. Things are not going too good. I'm talking to you about it, right? So when I'm talking to you about it, I'm hoping, right, my motive is that you're going to say, you know what? The Bible says this, and maybe we should do this. Maybe we should. And and I'm seeking counsel. I'm seeking a solution, That's the difference when you confide with somebody, that you are open for counsel and advice. Because I know people have complained, and when you might be like, well, maybe you should. I don't want to care what it is. I'm like, okay. I was just trying to help you. My bad. Huh? (laughs) My bad. You know, you know, you all have that, you know, people when you're trying to help them, they, they lash back and like, whoa, but you were just telling me how you didn't like this. I'm trying to, so they, they, they weren't confiding in you. They were complaining to you. When someone's confiding in you and you interrupt, they're like, maybe you should do this. And they look at you and like, you know what, maybe I should. They were confiding in you. But when they respond with, with, with the other one I gave you, it's like, they don't, they don't care what you have to say. They're not looking for a solution. They're not looking for advice. They are just looking to, they are focused on the problem and simply just want to express their frustration. That's a big difference. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Man, everything, everything. 
so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining, li- shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Yo, verse 9 says, do not grumble or be judged. Like I, Other versions say, do not complain lest you be condemned. The same Lord who will judge those who oppress you, right, will be the same God that will judge you that grumble and complain. Let's not let the oppression of others cause, uh, cause us to condemn ourselves by falling victim to grumbling and complaining. The next thing that James taught, warns us about is don't swear, right? Above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. You know, um, let, let, me, let me simplify this, right? This, this, I'm, I'm going to make it real simple. We have all said, God, I promise I will do this. I swear, God, I'll do this. Uh, by, my, by my word, Lord, by my word, I'll never drink again. Blah, blah, blah. You know, we do all these things, right? We, 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 we go, we make all these promises. God, if you just, if you keep her in my life, oh, so we'll both go to church for you, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Please, God, I promise. We make all these promises to God, right? I swear, God, I promise, God. I, you know, and, and you make these these. these superficial uh, commitments and, and, and covenants, these fake covenants with God. You need to be careful the promises that you make the Lord. Because if you promise him something, you should keep it. That's why, that's why it's better not to say anything. That's why if you read it, it says, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. It goes into saying that. It's better you just keep it simple. Yes, God, no, God. Instead of I promise this, I promise that. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 4 and 6, 4 through 6 says, When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God make, takes no pleasure in fools. Dang, now he calling you a fool? That's God calling you a fool. It's like you make a promise to God and you don't take it. He's like, fool. Man, man, that's like God. You're supposed to love me and I'm calling you a fool. That's what he does. Keep all the promises you make to him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin. Mm, mm-mm. Go ahead, Rachel, hashtag it, put it somewhere. <laughs> R- Ruby, put it on a T-shirt. <laughs> Ruby, Nina, and Xiomara. Got three T-shirt companies in here. All right, that's what I'm talking about. Lastly, in times of oppression, those of us who are God's children have a powerful weapon. Ooh. Look, I said weapon. Half the guys looked up like, I'm awake. We talking about guns now? (laughs) I got you. I'm listening. Yo, those of us who are God's children have a powerful weapon, and it's called prayer. It's called prayer. You know, one of the reasons why 
I couldn't, I couldn't sway from the message like in the order that it was this week was because in my conversation with so many people throughout the week, I realized that so many of us are being oppressed right now. I've spoken to a handful of you this week, and all of you are going through some form of persecution or oppression of the conversations that we've had. And I couldn't just say it was coincidence. I couldn't just say, oh, well, maybe it's just them. I, I, you see, then that's why we have to be flexible. Last week we talked about his plans, right? His plans. We have to be flexible, and there are times that even though it's Thanksgiving this week, woo, God said, our people, my people need to be encouraged, and they need to be motivated, and they need to be equipped because many of them are being oppressed right now. A lot of them are struggling right now. The key, prayer is the key thing to do when we are oppressed. We, we already say what to do, what not to do, Right? But prayer is the key thing when we are oppressed. We see the people praying in verses 4 and verses 13. We, when we pray, God hears our prayers. Again, this is where I plug in Bible study, I plug in prayer. Why do you guys hear me say, yo, well, then come to prayer. Come to prayer. Come to prayer. And not just tell us to pray for you. Listen, 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 listen. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We have visitors, we have guests. All right, look, guys, guys, guys. You know what, what makes me go like this? And that's me. I'm telling the truth. You know what makes me go like this? If somebody says, Pastor, pray for my foot, but can still come to church. Because what, what, the reason why I go out like this is because the Bible says to go before the, elder, uh, the elders, right? To let them put their hands, lay hands on you, anoint you, right? And so if you are feeling sick, if you're feeling, well, not COVID sick, but if you're feeling sick, right? And you're and you, and you feeling like hurt or you're feeling emotionally torn or damaged or, or, or depressed. Or listen, depression is trying to creep up on so many of us, and we have to not, we have to rebuke it and cast it back to hell where it came from. You understand? We cannot allow the enemy to, 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 to let that come over us. And so there are brothers and sisters that we can come together. Come here. Say, listen, like, like someone did a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to put her name out there, but there was, there was a burden lifted off her shoulders when she says, I'm struggling with this. I feel depressed. I feel suicidal. Can y'all pray for me? And she was here, and we laid hands on her, and we prayed for her. So when you tell me, Pastor, you know, I don't feel too good, pray for me, I'm like, okay, I mean, we'll pray for you. But by walking away, and I'm like, ah, if they only knew that by, by then just coming in through the door is an act of faith. Ow, 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 yo, yo, ow, check this out. By them just getting in the car and driving here and then walking here, that's all faith, faith. Faith, 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 faith. That's faith. And so by the time you come before your brothers and sisters that are praying and they lay hands and they anoint, you begin to feel the power of God and see what he does in your life. But yet prayer is the least attended service in all the world. Well, let me speak for our country because there's some praying countries out there. In our country, it's the least attended thing 
in the church. And then we wonder why we still bond, we, we still tied up. We wonder why we're still sick. We wonder why we're not delivered yet. We wonder why. All right, all right, all right. That's not in here. That's not in here. We find ourselves persecuted. We find ourselves pressed. We pray, and God hears. And not only does he hear it, he answers it. Psalms 91, 15, it says, he will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, and I will rescue him and honor him. Oh, Jesus. Whew. We all, one day, if you're not currently going through it right now, but in some point in your life, if you're not currently going through it now, you will go through some form of oppression. Somebody's going somebody's gonna to want to just get at you. And unfortunately, listen, I want to I wanna say this. We, it, we, don't, we don't battle against flesh and blood. It's not against people. We don't, we don't get back at people, right? Sometimes things happen to us. And it's just at that moment, the enemy is using an individual to disturb your walk, to get you off the rails, right? Right? What good is a train when it's not on the track? You guys know that the train was one of the most powerful forms of transportation when it first was, you know what I mean? I mean, they had nothing like it. It was strong. It was, it, it, was, it was fast. It was one of the fastest when it first, you know, was it the steam, you know, the, when, when steam engine, stuff like that. It, it, it revolutionized some things. But it was worth nothing if it wasn't on the tracks. The enemy, he loves to use people. Sometimes he uses people that are close to you. He uses friends. He uses enemies. And many times the person doesn't mean to do anything. It's just, it's just things that might happen to throw you off the track and render you render you uh, useless to reach others for God there's going to be people slandering you (laughs) people that might be upset with you but it makes me think, okay, Jesus, well, what did you go through? And it turned back to the Bible, right? And I saw Jesus loving people, and I saw Jesus embracing people. I saw Jesus teaching and preaching. I saw Jesus doing miracles. And even though all I saw Jesus do, everything that he did was good. Everything that that, that he spoke was good. Although everything we can see of what he did and what he said was good, people still spoke against him. People still hurt him. People still, like they did things to, to, to plot against him, to scheme against him, to set him up. So when I read that, when I, when I look at that, I'm saying, you know, 
who am I to think that I'm going to have it easier than Jesus? If people treated him like that, and then they don't treat me that same way or worse, then I have to question, I truly have to question what I'm doing. Am I being a friend to the world so that everybody can like me? So that everybody can shake my hand and and then nobody has anything negative to say? Or am I going to preach the truth, the gospel, and some people may not like it? Some people may not like it. And then some people don't like the fact that, you know, I'm not as sensitive sometimes. Pastor, he's all right, but he's not, he's not sensitive. You know, he's kind of rough around the edges. It's okay. I'm not, I, I can't say that my goal in life is to have as many people like me. That is not my goal in life. My goal in life is to stand before the Father when my day comes and for him to look at me and say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's my goal. That's my goal. Everything I do is for that goal. Church, let's stand to our feet this morning. So, what did, what did James teach us in a time when we might find ourselves oppressed, persecuted? What did we learn? We learned not to resist or fight back, not to argue, not to try to get even. Now, some of you said, well, I can't defend myself. No, 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 you can. But, but you see, not to, you know, I don't want you guys to think that you can't say, oh, no, excuse me, no, you're wrong. You know, it's not, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's going to be people that were just, their goal is to try to trigger you. There are going to be some people in your life, some situations in your life, that are designed to just trigger you, trigger your response, to trigger your actions. You know, if you were loose with the fist, right, then it's going to trigger you to swing at somebody again. If you were loose with the tongue, it's going to trigger you to use language that you no longer use anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be patient. Establish your heart. You got to get into the Word of God. You got to get into the Word. Don't complain. Don't swear. Make promises you can't keep. And most importantly, pray. If we can react in these ways to oppression, then what we're doing is we're following the example of Christ and his early disciples. So today, as the prayer team comes up, prayer team, please come up to the front. 
today we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. Because this is not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to deal with. It's not easy being patient. It's not easy wanting to get somebody back. It's not easy. It's not easy because our human nature is pretty strong. It's just powerful. The way we combat our human nature, our flesh, is to strengthen our spirit. Some of us today are going through some stuff. There's some pain. There's some heartache. Many of us, some of us are in mourning right now. We're going through things that sometimes we have no answers for. We've got no answers for why things happen. And guess what? I don't have those answers either. But I know a guy. He knows it all. He knows how you're feeling right now. He knows He knows where you've been. He knows what you've gone through. And he has the power to make things right. He's got the power to heal. He's got the power to restore relationships. He's got the power to to open doors that that no man could ever open. He's got the power to do these things. So I want to make the altar open today. If you're struggling with anything, if there's anything on just weighing on you, we want to pray with you this morning. If you're struggling with being patient, if you're struggling with establishing your heart, if you're struggling with with sometimes being a very vengeful person, like, you know, being very, you know, revengeful person. You struggle with complaining, grumbling. If you're always making promises that you can't keep, did you know that today could be the last day of those things? You know that you can leave it at the altar today and and say, God, you know what? I'm struggling with this. I need your help with this because I've done it on my own and I haven't been able to get it down right. So the altar's open. And as, I, as we bow our heads to pray, in the same manner that we spoke about faith, remember? Get in the car, faith. Take the step, faith. Open the doors, faith. I know we don't like people looking at us. I know we don't, you know, believe it or not, I don't, I don't like it too much either. I, I don't. But it's an act of faith and obedience to the Holy Spirit that right now, if you know you're struggling in any of these areas, if you know you're battling in this, if you know, take the step of faith, which means an actual step outside of your seat and make your way down to the altar. And God will meet you at the altar. Let's bow our heads. Father God, right now the altar is open. For those that are sitting right now, you take that step of faith. Say, today, God, I need your help with this. Today, Lord, I no longer want to suffer with this. Today, God, I, I just, I need your help because I'm going through so much. The altar is open. 
God wants to meet you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to lift the burdens off those shoulders and remind you that he is by your side. Father God, Father God, right now, Lord, we, we speak against oppression. We speak against the persecution that is happening to individuals and families in this church. Father God, right now, I ask that you give them strength and wisdom, Father God, to stand firm in your word. Father, I ask that through this message that they may understand or how you want us to react, how you want us to act, how you want us to deal with the oppression and those that oppress us, Lord. Oh, Jesus, we need you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. There are so many of us, Lord, battling through so much. We're battling through so much. And some of us are trying to do it on our own. And all the while, you're standing here with your arms wide open saying, Daughter, son, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, Jesus. Some of us, some of us have not made the decision yet to say, Lord, come into my life. Some of us have been trying to do this on our own without God and we have come to a realization that we need a Savior in our life. If you have never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, today can be that day. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Don't walk out. If that's you, don't walk out without making that decision today. We invite you to the altar, and if that is you, then when they go to pray with you, please tell them that I want to accept Christ. Let them know, because we want to celebrate with you for that decision that you make today. Father, have your way in each and every life, in each and every body that's here today. For those that are watching online right now, Lord God, Lord, you can meet them in that living room. You can meet them in that kitchen, in that bedroom. Right now, you can meet them there. Just because you're watching from far away does not mean that God cannot meet you right there, right now. Get on your knees in that living room. Get on your knees in that bedroom and say, Lord, I surrender. Have your way with me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.